Let's pray. God, for this morning, as we tell your truth, thank you for meeting us here with your love. In Jesus' name, amen. I am haunted sometimes by the things I know. Like when you're a child and you hear an adult say, you know better than that. And then you admit to yourself, yes, yes, I do. It's Mark Twain's enduring realization. Most people are bothered by those passages in Scripture which they cannot understand. But as for me, I have always noticed that the passages which troubled me most are those which I do understand. When I was a child, I remember sitting with my papa, my grandfather, at a Friday night football game sometime in the mid-1970s before he got sick. The Pettus Eagles were playing some other little South Texas town. It was a little on the chilly side outside, and I nestled up to him, and my face brushed against his worn canvas jacket. He squeezed my knee and said, the cow eats the cabbage, which... I didn't know what that meant, but I knew that it was funny and playful, even if a little jarring. But I loved sitting next to my papa with his strong hands and his dark skin and his deep abiding love for me his only grandson. He very rarely referred to me as Jeff. He mostly just called me boy, as in, hey boy, or get over here, boy. Let's go out to the fields, boy. But I've had to reconcile through the years of my learning about Jesus that Papa, the man I loved more than any other man until Michael was born, that Papa was wrong about something. Oh, I know that he was trying to bring me up and to teach me with what he had to work with in his life at that point. It somehow made sense to him at the time to teach me right from wrong. And I want you to know that I don't say that from a place of historical arrogance, which is tempting for us. You know what I'm talking about, right? That it's always tempting to think that we are more enlightened than the previous generations. But that would be off, since I still, to this day, look to Papaw as a model of love. At that football game, 
I said a cuss word that no doubt I had heard a thousand times in my own home, uh, kind of like Ralphie in A Christmas Story, just blurting out what he had heard in his own home a thousand times from the kitchen table. But at that point in the football game, as my dirty word hung in the air, Papaw told me that God has a book. And in that book, every time you say a cuss word, God puts a mark by your name. And while I do not believe that, and while I'm not even sure that Papa practically believed that himself, because I kid you not, when we were feeding pigs and riding horses and pushing cows through gates, I heard some words from him from time to time. But his imagination stuck with me, if for no other reason than a corrective that sometimes I have to survey in my own life, even though I don't believe in this big celestial logbook. Because if you think about it, where would God keep such a huge library? <laughs> and if God had such a library, what would He do with it? But then one day when I was older, I started being haunted by something I did know for sure. A new orientation from an, an old letter from some of the original Jesus followers. In fact, what haunts me is actually the opposite of what Papa imagined. And you know what I'm talking about, because you've heard it probably 40 or 50 times last year, depending on how many times a year you come to church or how often you read the dwelling passages that we have from year to year, it's actually one of the lines from the Love is Patient, Love is Kind poem. You know that one, right? If you've never heard it for whatever reason, check it out. It's pretty good. The poem is in 1 Corinthians 13, and it describes all kinds of things about what love is, what love is not, what love does, and what love does not do. But one particular little sentence may be the one that's the hardest of all of them to live. Dare we say that it's even harder than love is patient. Maybe the hardest line of all, love keeps no record of wrong. Love keeps no record of wrong. We've spent years as a church, not just us in this room, but I'm talking about like one of those watershed moments that happens every so often in the history of Christianity. We've spent years as churches transitioning into and learning more about the grace of God. 
And since we are always learning and growing, now that we're coming to know the grace of God, let us also commit to spending as much time being people of grace. You know, because it's one thing to say, oh, our church, we finally got enlightened. We finally got it. We understand that grace is what's most important. You know, can I get an amen? And everybody goes amen. Yeah, but you got to live this stuff. You actually have to put grace into practice. Also in the letters to the Corinthian Jesus followers, they adopted an image to show how we carry around this grace. You know, how we actually put this in place from day to day. We take it from Sunday morning when we're comfortable talking about grace, and then we carry it outside of these comfortable settings into places where it's a lot harder to put grace into practice. Well, what they did in saying carry it from here to here was that they compared our lives to jars, to jars of clay. What we carry around with us in these jars of clay is a life-saving promise. This must be our story, and perhaps our only story. Because if we've made a mistake, and we've made many through the years, but one of our mistakes at least, and I think that in a lot of ways we're actually still making it, is giving in to the worldly impulse thinking that if we just do everything with the jar correctly, more people are going to want the jar. We decorate the jar. We fortify the jar. We tell people, look how pretty the jar is. When all the while what we need to remember is that it is not the jar but what is inside the jar that must be our ongoing life in Christ. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Wrongs are not what we store in the jar. Can you imagine being a group of Jesus followers who carries around in our jars with us all day, every day, what I did wrong and what y'all did wrong, and then we're just going to go tell everybody, look in the jar, it's what everybody does wrong. Just leaves a horrible taste in your mouth. How are you going to take that out and say, but look how pretty the jar is. No. Yeah, I mean, I like the jar, but it's just a clay jar, but look inside. And here, my beloved loved ones, is what's in the jar. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves the child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out His commands. This is love for God, to obey God's commands. And God's commands are not burdensome. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. 
Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. You are loved by God. Put that in your jar. Carry that around with you. You are loved by God. And if you object, go ahead. Raise your objection. You are loved by God, not me. No, you are loved by God. Yeah, but. Go ahead and say your yes, but. Because then after that, the message remains the same. You are loved by God. You know what the hardest part of hearing something like that is actually remaining in it. I think that's probably why Jesus said, now remain in my love. Because it's very easy to step out of it. Very easy to step out of it. Remain in my love. These are the words of Jesus. Now remain in my love. The Lord would not continue to keep living into us if God did not love us. But since God is love, we remain people of God's love. The last thing that Jesus said before going to the cross was, In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. What if John wanted us to hear that in light of this other overcome and born statement? Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. And then, for everyone born of God overcomes the world. Just let that sink in for a moment. The world... nor anything in it has anything that can separate us from the love of God that we share with one another in Christ Jesus. Neither height nor depth, not King Kong or racists or cancer or an unplanned hour stuck in traffic. Nothing. We shall overcome? No. Not we shall, but now. Jesus did not say, but take heart, one of these days, thousands of years from now, I'm finally going to overcome the world. We kind of act like that's what Jesus is saying, right? But take heart. I'll overcome the world one of these days, but not in y'all's lifetime, so just, you know, see if you can get through it. Hmm. No, that's not worthy of putting in the jar, but that's what we put in the jar a lot of times. Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, because one of these days you won't have trouble, but it's going to be after you're dead. We kind of put that in the jar sometimes, but it's wrong. It's not what's in the jar. Instead, take heart, I've overcome the world. Not shall, but now. Everyone born of God lives an ongoing, present life who continually overcomes the world. And the best part about it is we actually get to do it together. You know, we don't have to 
think this through on our own, all by ourselves, isolated from everyone else. We actually get to put this stuff into practice together. It's as though the Church of Jesus is an ongoing cheering section of jubilant high fives. What if you invited someone to our group of Jesus followers in this place? At Bering. And when asked what makes your church so special, you say, well, we high-five a lot. It, uh, everyone's just filled with this never-ending excitement and satisfaction about living in the ongoing love and life of Jesus. You know, greet one another with a holy high-five. What makes y'all so Well, we... That's kind of just what we do. Jesus taught us in John 15, 9, right before, in the next chapter, He would go on to tell us to take heart because He has overcome the world. Jesus told us, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now, remain in my love. This will take us a lifetime. It will take us a lifetime of remembering. It will take us a lifetime of remaining in what we already know. Along the way, let us remain in the love of Christ. For this is the way, the truth, and the life that we know. My papa died when I was 12 years old. But his life has been a constant touchstone for me. Even though I admittedly through the years have probably created a version of him that is more than the man himself. But I remain in his love to this day. And I think that may be one of the reasons I can hear Jesus speaking so clearly. And what I still hear Jesus saying and reminding us day to day, now remain in my love. Amen.